Welcome to The Mend, a podcast for through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I'm Anna Nassett, and I am your host of this bi-monthly podcast. Today on the show, we have Erica Real and Kimberly Colville to, here to discuss crimes against people with disabilities and the resources available here in our state and nationally. The show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime and those who serve them. We want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources not only in our state, but throughout the country that could benefit uh, communities, victims, and survivors of crime. As your host, I myself am a victim of crime, and my healing process and how I navigate has been varied throughout the years. I went from hiding in the shadows to standing up and speaking out and am honored that I get to share this platform with so many people such as you too. I always want to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics, but within that we may occasionally hear stories that are triggering um, and have sensitive subject matter. So as always, listen at your own discretion and welcome to The Mend. Today, I'm so excited to have Erica and Kimberly join me from the Vermont Center for Independent Living, uh, which is located in Montpelier and Burlington. We're located in Montpelier. Our central office is Montpelier. We have satellite offices in Burlington, Morrisville, Bennington, Brattleboro, and Rutland. Rutland. Awesome. So I work at a satellite office in Burlington. Okay. Very good. Um, the Center for Independent Living is a nonprofit organization directed and staffed by individuals with disabilities who works to promote the dignity, independence, and civil rights of Vermonters with disabilities. Like other independent living centers across the country, uh, Vermont Center for Independent Living is committed to cross-disability services and the promotion of active citizenship and working with others to create services that support self-determination and full participation in community life. Erica is the advocacy organizer at the center and Kimberly is a peer advocate. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, I'd love just to start by getting to, for the listeners to get to know you two a little bit better. Um, can you share with me what you want about your history and how you came to be voices within our state and really nationally with the work you're doing um, for crimes committed against people with disabilities? Um, if you don't mind, I'll go for it. So, it, so I'm not only a person with a disability, I'm a victim of several um, child abuse and uh, sexual victimization, but also it was kind of a fluke because I was reading a Time Magazine article about um, sexual abuse in other countries and Kimberly and I started talking, basically. And we started thinking about what's happening in other countries around people with disabilities. And then we started just talking about what's going on in our country. And then we started narrowing it down to what's going on in Vermont and realized there weren't a lot of services for people with disabilities in our country or in our state. <coughs> and then we started talking about just our friends and people we worked with and um, people that were coming to our offices and we realized we wanted to change the, the language and wanted to change the culture and start 
you seeing what was out there and start talking about victimization of people with disabilities. Um, awesome. Yeah, I, th I also incurred my own um, victimhood. And I think, you know, through talking with Erica, once I joined the center six years ago, I was still dealing with the aftermath and trauma of that. Um, and I think it was in talking to Erica and others around her um, that I really learned that, that part of my healing came through helping others um, to share parts of my story, but also um, to do the deep work to realize that, yes, I went through this, but this is not who I am. This doesn't all encompass me. And I think to heal, basically. Um, so in doing this work, I've, I've found a way to heal myself at times, although like anyone who's a victim, it comes back when you least expect it, mm -hmm. and then you move forward. Um, and, you know, I'd like to help people, and this is what, a way I can do that. That's awesome. Um, as our audience will hear, these two are warriors, you are superheroes, and the work that you're doing is so incredible and thank you for sharing thank how you. you got called to that work because mm -hmm. it's really amazing um as we start to kind of unpack this i think it's important to start by looking at the american disability act um can you explain just briefly because i know it's a big each one of these topics could be its own <laughs> episode um, but can you explain to our listener what that is and how it protects people with disabilities um certainly um the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, um, was enacted in 1890, so it's a very young law. It's actually turning 30. Um, I can go into an, a whole spiel about the ADA, but in a nutshell, really, it's a law that makes equal protections for people with disabilities. It means that people with disabilities have the same equal rights as somebody without a disability. Um, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Um, and again, I could go into a whole tangent about what the ADA actually reads. Okay. Um, but that's a, a really good <laughs> nutshell of it. And yeah. um, uh, I'm shockingly sad that it's only turning 30 years old. <laughs> yes. Uh, wow. So you two work to ensure that people can live independently. Um, can you share with me ways in which people with disabilities rely on support systems to live independently. I think one of the things that is so clear about people with disabilities and also through the help of the ADA is that we're trying to build equity and equality. So um, individuals with disabilities might need support or help to live the life of what a person without a disability lives. So I think to bring that bar up um, is one of our main goals for each individual. And that can be, look different for each person. Um, so my work as a peer counselor is really digging in deep with an individual um, who comes to the center and and looking at their, their goal or goals. Usually it's one major goal, one major goal and then little goals um, on top of that, or the goal can change over time kind of help them and give them support and resources to meet that goal, but also supporting them to do it on their own. Because a lot of individuals may have had 
a caregiver or a parent really do things for them. But I think as a person with disabilities, once I found my own power of, of learning how to do things on my own, um, making the phone calls or advocating myself, that's where I found my real power. Um, so that's kind of what we, we do. Erica, would you like to add anything? Um, I don't think so. I think you got it in a nutshell, Kimberly. Okay. Um, but yeah, I but I can't express enough. Like you said, you know, it's just finding your own power. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times in your situation, you lose that power. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, and we really try to bring that power back. Awesome. Like I said, superheroes. <laughs> um, Within that kind of loss of power, violence against people with disabilities is statistically very high. It's underreported. It's underserved. Can you share with our listeners about data and how we can better educate ourselves and advocate for victims of crime um, of people with disabilities? Okay, I'll take that one. I'm a little bit uh, the data guru of this, yeah. of our team, so <laughs> I'll cover that. Um, so statistically, individuals are, are at a high risk of, of crime because of their vulnerability. Individuals are more vulnerable due to their dependence or need for support of others. Um, and individuals with multi multiple disabilities, the bar is even higher, they're even more vulnerable. Um, particularly, most crimes are committed against people with cognitive disabilities overall. So that's something um, to be aware of. 40% uh, of victims who have disabilities know they're offender. It's either a family member, or caregiver, or support person. Um, so that, that makes it very hard for them to speak out um, because uh, there's, with victimization, there's a lot of trauma, but but in a sense, um, having support or having the main person be a support people person who is also victimizing you, that's an incredible layer to deal with. Um, um, I know in my own my own case, um, not relying on my inner voice that this is wrong, this should stop um, until it was until it blew up in my face. Um, I had feelings long before I knew I had to leave the situation. Um, and, you know, I think what I've learned in the preceding years is really to trust my voice. And luckily, I personally have had a lot of support to do that. Um, but let's go on with the statistics. Um, I think I've covered all of them, unless you have. And the, and the other case with people with disabilities is we're also used to, um, especially those of us who rely on a support person to um, dress or take care of us, do our um, activities of daily living, we're also used to people handling our personal bodies at a younger age, which is why we're more susceptible. Mm -hmm. um, and we're also very used to um, you know, they take care of our medic. Like my husband is also my caregiver, so he takes care of my medication. Um, so you know, if he did my medications wrong, how would I know? Right. Um, 
you know, in some cases, they ha people, our caregivers handle our money. Um, they handle our finances. They handle this. So there are many different affects of where a caregiver can abuse us. Yes. And I think also this gets into a whole nother realm, but we're, we're often not taught things as people with disabilities um, because we might pu be pulled away from the classroom, the regular classroom, or, or we, our, our peer group in schools might look different than the average kid. And that's a whole nother discussion, but I want it to be like that education piece of just normal life. Right. It's not always there. I won't say that that it's completely missing, but a lot of individuals that we work with have said, you know, I didn't learn this in school. I missed this in school. Where was I? And right. And that goes back into that needing the equal, yeah. the equal education, the equal opportunities. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that's what you're talking about is like, you know, when the victimization is happening specifically from a caregiver or support person, how do you report when you're relying on that person? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and many people with disabilities are relying on caregivers to support them. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about caregiver abuse? Um, Certainly. I mean, I can tell you, I think we can go into statistics, which Kimberly already did, but caregiver abuse happens in so many different ways. We've already run over mishandling medications, mishandling money. Um, there's also uh, threats of, you know, abuse of a service dog, um, breaking equipment, wheelchairs, walkers. Um, there's times when there's sexual abuse. There are times when people with disabilities are put out as tra trafficked victims. Um, there are times when people with a mental health diagnosis are, you know, they're made worse by an, by an abuser. Um, uh, there are times when people are told, nobody's gonna believe you because you have a mental health diagnosis or because you have such and such or, they're going to put you in a nursing home. They're going to, you know, all these threats. And these things are very scary for us and also very real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and we're taught, you know, I can, I was born with a disability. You know, things are just, just taught to us at a very young age. You can't believe that. Like Kimberly said, I was pulled out of sex education classes. So I did not know bad touch, good touch. Um, when I developed, uh, puberty. I did not know what was going on with me. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard stories of children not being taught um, just about you know basic sexuality. So when things happen to them, they had no idea. They thought it was games. Right. Um, so all these different things happen to us, and yet they are looked at. You know, other people to say, "Oh, that's Kimberly and her caregiver." So that that's just the way things are. Right. Um, and so people just look the other way when it comes to us. And it's, it's very difficult um, because if that's the normal for us, as it is in so many other abusive type situations, then that's all we know. And it happens at a, st a lot of us at such a young age that that is our normal. Mm -hmm. And that's what we grow to expect. Mm -hmm. And you're working to change that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> to change the normal. Um, thank you for explaining that further. 
Uh, today on The Mend, I have Erica Real and Kimberly Colville from the Center for Independent Living here in Vermont. Um, many listeners may think this doesn't happen in our state, this doesn't happen in our town. Um, without going into graphic stories, can you share with me the, the names of some lives lost here in this state and what the work you've done to keep their memory um, alive and to, to change that? You'll have to excuse me. Um, I do get emotional when I mention these two young men. Um, we did, in our state, lose um, many others, but I'm going to mention two that are very near and dear. Um, we, we lost Jeffrey Kitterlich uh, from Montpelier, Vermont. Uh, he was 20 years old. He um, died of sepsis. He was a wheelchair user. He was killed by his father. Um, and we lost um, Isaac Robtill. He was age 13. Um, vodka was put into his feeding tube by his mother. The, the unfortunate thing about these two is all over the country, um, people that harm people with disabilities do not get the same um, prison sentence as those that are that harm uh, people without disabilities. Um, we do not get the same coverage in newspapers. Sometimes we're hidden on page five. There are many others that have died, but these two are very near. I knew both of these gentlemen. Um, what we do to keep the memories of those and many others that have lost is every year on March 1st, there is a Disability Day of Mourning for those that have lost um, their lives in the hands of their caregivers. And every year around the country, uh, people with disabilities mourn those that have, have perished in the hands of their caregiver. And when the quotes that are used, and I'm gonna read it, is at the end of the day, we say mourn for the dead and fight like hell for the living. And that's very powerful to me. Mm -hmm. um, every time that Kimberly and I do a training um, around caregiver abuse awareness, we mention the names of those that have lost their lives in Vermont mm -hmm. and show their pictures mm -hmm. just to keep the fresh memories that there are people in our state that have been, lost their lives Absolutely. in the hands of their caregivers. Absolutely, and there are people in our state going through that right now. And um, yeah, I think it's so important that we keep their memories alive. And thank you for sharing that with me. Yes. Thank you. Um, sorry, it's a very heavy, heavy day here. Yes. Um, uh, so crimes against people with disabilities, as we were saying, are so underreported. They're under-prosecuted, obviously. Like, just there's so many obstacles in the way for people trying to report or try and have any sort of justice. Um, how can victim service providers better serve people with disabilities? Well, it's a huge question, but. Yeah. Well, I think, again, I want to bring up statistically, you know, 21% of individuals with a disability um, don't report because they are, are basically, um, they're afraid they're not going to believe or there's that barrier of, of they may not remember things in sequence. And I think, you know, 
a lot of victims who go through victimization, especially that first interview, they're not going to remember things in sequence anyways because it's so much trauma that's going on in the brain at the same time. But add another layer of disability on top of that, a cognitively or just emotionally not remembering. And especially in the case of people with mental health, that, that uh, they may already have the stigma attached to them not that not to be believed when when they should be listened to um, because of X, Y, and Z diagnosis. Uh, and I think the most important thing that, that we can do when we're supporting a person is tell them, I believe you, whatever you tell me, I believe. I think... Uh, I think getting over trauma and having that one person that says, I believe you, is so important. And then kind of digging deeper to what the story really is. And I think um, law enforcement providers need to really keep that in mind, that whatever the story is, it happened to this person. Um, and this is the person's experience. Um, and take that at face value and then go forward to sift, sift out the specifics. So. Mm -hmm. And I think also when what really helps a lot of people is, you know, you see no, no just to our law enforcement at all, but law enforcement, especially an officer, are very scary. Sometimes it's a person's first encounter with law enforcement and they're using words that, you know, sometimes I don't even understand and I've worked with law enforcement. And if you can get somebody that can get down to a person's level and mm -hmm. just talk to them as, as we're talking mm -hmm. and, you know, try to just be what I call a sleuth and try to get beyond the layers mm -hmm. and then go back to the officer and say, this is what they're talking about. Because, you know, you see an officer with their, with their, um, with their, ugh, I want to say their, their, mm -hmm. their guns and, you know, it's, it's a scary, it's intimidating. Plus this person's already been intimidated enough. Absolutely. And yeah. law enforcement has, is, has done a lot and has a great deal of respect in my heart, but they, they are very scary. Yeah. I think over time, you know, just dealing with law enforcement or people at the attorney general's office, um, more and more, I think I have people that I've built close relationships um, in this work with come forward to me and say, what about this? Or I don't get this. Or I know I had a, a, someone come to me and, and ask about how do I communicate with the deaf person. Um, what is the technology that we need in our offices to be better better accessible? Mm -hmm. I mean, just ask those basic questions. And then it's okay to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. why Eric and I do this work, is that if you don't know or you need help figuring that out, we're more than happy to, to work with you and develop a game plan for yourself or the office that you work in. Mm -hmm. And I've had the same thing happen with lawyers, you know, working and they're just like, I don't know. And we're just like, ask, use us, use mm -hmm. your resources. Yeah, I think it's okay to say you don't know. It's when you stop asking or you don't ask, that's where the problem occurs.
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing is like if we can if we can all just be honest yes. <laughs> about what we know and what we don't yeah. and be able to create a better system together. Right. And, you know, I felt the same way of just like when I first have to, had to start like working with cops, I was terrified. Mm -hmm. I had no reason to be, but I was terrified. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I started to work with an advocate and as time went on, I was much more at ease, but that can be really scary. And so having these people and having people at the attorney general's office or law enforcement who are like, help us Mm -hmm. Be able to do a better mm -hmm. job is so important because mm -hmm. none of us are perfect and we all right. have something to learn. Right. And we're, you know, we're supposed to be the experts. We're still learning. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. but we're going to figure it out, you know, even if we don't have the answers, we have a whole team of people across the country and in Vermont that we can tap into mm -hmm. and ask the questions of. So. That's awesome. That's so great. Yeah. Um, how can... For our listeners today who aren't advocates or victim service providers, um, how can they better be there for people with disabilities in their communities, um, whether these people are victims of crime or just, you know, in the workplace or whatever that might be, how can people be better community members to their whole community? Um, I think don't look the other way. If you see something that doesn't look right, you know, ask or... You know, there's been many times I'm in I'm in the store and I, I see something. I don't just walk away. You know, I safely, not putting the person in danger, just say, are you okay? Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, just, you know, try to be a better advocate, learning, educating myself, saying, I don't know, um, learning about my community, learning who's in my community. Um, just learning about different resources, um, trying to figure things out, you know, just meeting my neighbors, uh, you know, just regular, just being there for people and not thinking this doesn't happen in my backyard. Mm -hmm. Because after reading and educating myself and not being the skeptic that I truly am, um, just going, hey, this is, this is a topic that has to be discussed, and mm -hmm. we can't shy away from it anymore. We have to talk about these hard, hard, hard conversations. Yeah. And we have to start thinking this does happen in Vermont. Mm -hmm. We're not sheltered from these horrible, horrible things. And I think one of the things also as we continue in this work is that Vermont is a lovely state. It's beautiful and we all live here for a reason and it's um, because we love the beauty, but it is also in some areas of Vermont very poor. Now, I'm not going to judge. I live in Chittenden County and so I'm not going to, I'm not going to put labels on anywhere else in Vermont, but it's a poor state and we all know that it's hard to make a living here for various reasons, but Things can be hidden in the shadows in the state. Um, and um, I think we just need to keep talking to each other. I think overall the world has not learned in the last couple of years. We communicate so much through technology that we don't have conversations with people. I know that I can be in touch on my computer and my iPhone, my iPhone, um, all day long with people, 
But I go home and I realize I might not have talked to a living human all day. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think that's very important to reach out again and just know your neighbors, know who, know, know who's in your community um, is very important. Absolutely, I agree. And know what your community needs. Yes. So there are people in your community that are in need and yeah. Um, you know, especially a little area like this, there's, you know, just a very big, big gap between the, the poverty and the extreme wealth. And, yes. and we don't, we don't see that side of what, what people are really needing and uh, the well, assistance. Not to contradict both of you, but remember, it's not just the wealth. Yeah. Who abuses. Yeah. 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 I mean, sorry, it's not just the poor who abuse. No, it's actually, no, yeah. I, and thank you for bringing that up. I mean, it happens in all social economic stratospheres. Um, but, um, you know, I think, uh, and, and, you know, on the low end, things can be hidden. And also on the high end, things can, can be hidden. And that's another big conversation, but it hits everyone, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just to really be... Mm. To be aware and be a, be a better community member and yeah. be a better citizen. Yeah. 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 Um, we have gone over a wealth of information today and did not even like scratch the surface, I know. Um, but do you feel like there's any like really not main points, but bigger points that you would like to, to share with listeners as we start to wind down? I think this conversation. I think I, um, I can't stress enough that this conversation, abuse as a whole, needs to be talked about more. And it's not just women, it's people of all shapes and sizes and sexes. And we, again, we need to have those hard conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to include at every table people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also think, you know, if someone comes to you, believe what they're telling you um, and, you know, give them the space to share their whole story without judgment, which I know in the world is hard to do, but that's very important. Even if you're that one support person that's listening and continues to listen and hear, that's really important to someone who's been victimized. Absolutely. Keep listening and keep coming to the table for the hard conversations. And I thank you too for joining me here today for, for just that. Um, yeah, I love working with you both and knowing you and just can't say enough for the work that you're doing for people in the state and nationally, like you're changing, the, you're changing it. And that's incredible. And that's not an easy place to be, but much respect and gratitude for both thank of you. you. Thank you. Um, if you would like to learn more about the Vermont Center for Independent Living, you can visit their website, which is vcil.org. Um, is there any other like big resource you would like to share, or do you feel like that's a good? Um, if you yeah, if you go to the vcil.org website, you can find both of our emails, and you'll be able to you can ask us any question. We're annoying. We work all the time. So you can email us day or night and we'll probably answer you. True. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, uh, you know, since, since violence and crime is so broad, 
definitely, I think the best thing to do is get in touch with us and we can get you in touch with the right people or, or not the right people. Absolutely. So. And we also have um, out-of-state contacts and out-of-country contacts. So no matter where it's happening, we can get you in contact with somebody. Like I said, freaking superheroes. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no matter where it's at, we've got our capes. We're ready. <laughs> yep. Um, I always like to sh close the show with some sort of positive message. Um, if there's like one parting thought or list for our listeners, what would it be? I think uh, keep moving forward to if you're in a situation where you are experiencing um, some type of crime that you don't need to live that way. There are people out here that, to support you. Um, and I think that's a real key thing that moving forward and living to where you want to live, live your best life um, is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Erica and Kim Lee, for you. joining me today. Um, if you have questions uh, or ideas about the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at Anna at StandUpResources.com. Thank you again for being here. Um, I'm your host, Anna Nasset, and we'll see you next time on The Mend.